Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring inspiring conversation with people at the grassroots and the grass tops, doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, or generally striving to make our democracy live up to its promise of a more perfect union. I hope their stories will inspire you to learn more about them or to take action on your own. Head over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. Today, I'm speaking with Manny Yakutiel, founder of San Francisco phenomenon Manny's, a civic gathering space that brings people together for coffee, bagels, and discourse. In this comfortable and friendly space, people gather for debates, to hear candidates like Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, and for something increasingly rare in our country today, dialogue. Manny and I talk about how people are craving in-person experiences in an increasingly digital world, how to heal our political discord, and how to make politics fun, accessible, and exciting. And now, here's my conversation with Manny Yakutiel. Manny Yakutiel, welcome to New Faces of Democracy. Good to be here, kind of, physically here, but here with you. Got it. We're all kind of not here with each other these days. So Manny, you are the proprietor of the very appropriately named Manny's in San Francisco. It's a restaurant, it's a bookshop, but it's much more than that. Tell us what you do there. Manny's was created to solve a problem, which is where do you physically go to engage in civic and political life? There have historically been many places that people would go to to engage in political discourse, civic discourse, learn about the news of the day, But in recent years, a lot of those places are gone. And I saw in the wake of the election of Donald Trump, a massive wave of people asking for the first time, where do I go? Where can I, I, I'm concerned. I want to learn about politics, social justice, and I want to get involved in, and I wanted to create a space to answer that question. So in its most core essence, that is what the space is about. What happens inside is it's a combination of a nonprofit restaurant a coffee shop, a bar, a political bookshop, and a venue, an event space that pre-pandemic hosted over 500 in-person events. And over the course of the pandemic has hosted hundreds of online events. And we'll be bringing the in-person events back once we can and continue to host the online events. So it's a combination of social and political. 500 events. That's a lot. When did you guys start up? We had only been open for a year and a half. So there were nights where we had four or five events happening at the same time. We would do political happy hours in the front bar area. Politicians who were coming through town would rent out the bar area and host fundraisers and happy hours. While in the venue in the back, there would be a lecture on criminal justice reform, followed by a nonprofit renting out the space for a gala or a game night. And so we were really firing on all cylinders. There were nights, Nancy, where Andrew Yang had a happy hour going on in the bookshop. Elizabeth Warren's campaign was doing phone banking while a member of someone who was running for a member of Congress, Morgan Harper, was hosting a happy hour in the front. So, you know, we were doing it. We were really doing it in person. And actually, since the pandemic, we've been even busier. I mean, we've been hosting even more events than we ever were doing before. And so it's just been kind of constant. Great. I mean, what do you think it is about post-Trump What you're telling me is something that I've seen elsewhere where people just like wanted to be together, 
you know, before that, we were all kind of like doing our own thing. But but there's something about creating community in this post-Trump era. And it seems like you guys were filling some kind of need. I mean, what do you think that's about? I think at the, at the core, that is about how the proliferation of the digital world has, in fact, made us crave high quality, in-person, in-real-life community even more than before because we are overstimulated and we are over-indexed on the internet and human beings are at our core social beings. We like to be around each other. And in a very short amount of time, the physical has been replaced by the digital. And in a lot of ways and for a lot of people, it's been a boon. The democratization of knowledge, the ability to connect with activists and friends and family all over the world. I believe though, that for complex civic discourse, nuanced conversations about hard topics, there is no way to replace the in-person. You really need to look at someone in the eyes, read their, their face, and show them that you are actively listening to them if you're actually going to learn from them in a high quality, authentic way. And so that's the kind of guiding premise of the space. We need community. We're hungry for it. So tell me about your background and how you started down this path. My professional life has mainly been centered around campaigns and advocacy. I've worked on President Obama's presidential campaign, Secretary Clinton's presidential campaign. I worked on a local mayoral race, Mark Leno, who would have been our first openly gay mayor. And I worked on a few issue-specific advocacy campaigns, same-sex marriage, immigration reform, among others. And so I came to this as an activist, as an organizer. And I had worked in coffee shops throughout my life. I worked at Starbucks in high school. I helped open and manage the student-run coffee shop at Williams College, which was the college I went to. And after I left the Clinton campaign, the first thing I did was I walked into a coffee shop, Coffee Mission on 24th and Mission, and asked if they would let me to pick up a couple shifts just to get back into the swing of things. And so coffee has always been, and working in the service industry has always been a constant for me. And so I'm one of those, I've worn a lot of different hats. The truth is before Manny's, I was pretty lost. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. I wasn't really sure how to use all the experiences that I had built up over time. And I had a couple jobs where I'd learned a lot, but I wasn't happy. And so the idea to open up my own spot, my own small business had always been a dream, but it took a combination of factors, the election of Donald Trump, frankly, the courage that my ex-boyfriend gave me as kind of a support and just the inspiration of that moment to decide I was actually going to do it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, the election of Donald Trump and the shift that many people did in their lives, the transformations is, is so much of what this podcast is all about. So you mentioned like offhand, just rattled off all these amazing people that have come through Manny's, like Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang, like political uh, presidential candidates. Tell me some other people, like some of your favorite people have come through your doors. Not favorite. Uh, we don't have favorites, but you know, some notable people. Well, we hosted 17 of the presidential candidates in the run up to the 2020 election, which was unbelievable. There was a weekend, I think, We had five different presidential candidates come over the course of that one weekend to host events. And I mean, to meet any person on the national political stage is a huge honor, obviously. I'm the son of my father's from Afghanistan. He came to this country with $23 in his pocket. And so 
anytime I've met someone in politics that, that's changing the game, I'm always just feeling a sense of pinch me. I can't believe Cory Booker is in my office praising me, thanking me, Kamala Harris holding my hand and telling me how special this place is. So there's been a lot of pinch me moments in the space. The 17 presidential candidates, we had Gabby Giffords come twice, actually. Gabby Giffords spent Super Tuesday here in March of 2020, so a week before San Francisco was shut down. She and her organization wanted to watch the results of Super Tuesday and also utilize the party as a fundraiser to address uh, gun violence prevention. And that was probably a pinnacle moment for me as she's a living embodiment of a movement. And for her to choose my space to spend the most consequential night of the 2020 election, four years after Donald Trump's election, was huge. There have been some really incredible moments digitally that Manny's has hosted since the pandemic that don't involve the space, but it's been a wild ride using both online and in-person gatherings since last March as well. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about post-COVID, but these are huge, huge names. How? What is it? I mean, you're like a coffee shop in San Francisco. Why are they coming to you? Like, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> you must make really good coffee. Our coffee is good. I'm not going to say no to that. Why here? The truth is, Nancy, there, there are not a lot of venues that specifically market to and are geared towards and bring together programming specific to politics, social justice, and civic life. There are many venues that host that programming, but that is exclusively what we do. Arts, culture as well, but mainly politics. And so the goal is, uh, it's nice to host folks. But the, the reason why we want to host all these people is that so if you are a San Franciscan or you're passing through town or you're just wondering, where can I go to engage in politics, you know to go here. Just like if you wanted to work out, there's a local gym in your neighborhood that you like to go to or you want to see an amazing concert, you know to go to a music venue or if there's a new movie coming out, you know to go to a certain movie theater. When there's a presidential debate, when Kamala Harris is in town, the idea is that you can expect that Manny's is where you should go to, to experience politics. And so we market specifically to folks in politics. And the space is a good space. It's in a major commercial corridor in San Francisco on Valencia Street. It's comfortable. It's unpretentious. And I think I have a, you know, I have a great staff that's worked, that works really hard. And, you know, God is on our side. We were very lucky in our first two years to have everything happen all at once. And the folks who attend uh, Manny's events, you know, I'm proud to say very inter intergenerational, very socioeconomically diverse. We never turned anyone away for lack of funds. Our tickets were always sliding scale from the very beginning. We actually gave away free coffee to anyone who wanted coffee. If they couldn't afford it, no questions asked. It is also on a corner uh, of San Francisco where the new and the old San Francisco very much mix. 16 and Valencia, it is a melting pot intersection. But I think that the driving, the connection between all the folks who come to Manny's are folks who want to learn, people who are interested in expanding their mind and their perspectives that want to be engaged intellectually. That's a range from want to sit down and listen to a open mic night, which is definitely learning, but it's more passive, all the way to, you know, uh, job fairs around different issue areas where we invited 20, 30 organizations working on a particular issue. We did one, I think, for climate change. And people came wanting to work on this issue. And we actually connected them to nonprofits and advocacy groups and organizations who needed their help. So all the way from like, I know what I want to do. 
I want to learn about these groups and I want a job in this industry. So we were doing everything in between. Uh, great. That's that's pretty encyclopedic. We've been discussing like so much of the magic that happens there is person to person being together in physical space. It's so refreshingly bricks and mortar when everything has been moving in the other direction. Then the pandemic shows up and throws you guys for a loop or your business model. And you talked a little bit about it, but tell me more about what's been going on in the last year. The last year. Wow. I mean, it's nice to be able to start to think about this in the past tense. I know we're not in the past tense yet, but it does feel like we can start to think about this time as a time that has passed, which is really nice. We're actually preparing. You might hear some noise in the background. My general manager is preparing the space to open it up for the first time uh, for people to come inside on Tuesday. So we're getting the espresso machine ready. We're testing everything out. We're oiling the wood, cleaning the copper. You know, we, re- we had to reinvent ourselves a lot uh, over the last year. The first thing we did was we immediately launched a series of over 130 minute long civic conversations that happened online. I think we started it four days after the shutdown. And that was to give people almost an intellectual distraction to keep themselves engaged as we try to figure out what was going on. And that was a combination of local poets and activists and the mayor of San Francisco, all the way to Stacey Abrams, authors like Michael Pollan, Cory Booker, you know, Nat, you know, the chair of the DNC, Tom Perez. I mean, we, we had like wine classes and we had strange topics on vampires. And we, did, we really did everything. And we, again, over 100 in about 90 days. So tons of conversations. Then after that, we reopened for outdoor dining and we did like an online talk show and music, and we tried a bunch of stuff out over the summer. And then in the fall, we focused all of our energy on the election. And what we did is we actually, San Francisco has this program where you can take over the parking spaces in front of a business and build an outdoor structure. I think a lot of cities have done that. And we had 114 feet of, so six parking spaces of booths where people physically came for the months leading up to the election to phone bank, text bank, and write letters to swing state voters. And so we created an outdoor campaign office, a field office, to bring people together to make a difference in this election. We, we, had, we wrote over 25,000 letters. Uh, we made th- over 3 million phone calls and an un- uncalculable amount of text messages. I mean, it was really unbelievable. And we made a difference. We made a difference in this election in spite of the pandemic. We also did some fun things like we rented out Fort Mason, which is a large outdoor space on the water and hosted, I think, the only outdoor drive-in presidential debate watch party. We had over 100 cars. It was on the cover of the New York Times. And we shut down the block in front of Manny's on election night and hosted a very large drag queen filled election night watch party with balloons and dance breaks and and social distancing and it was it was amazing and so you know really over the last year we've we've continued to shape shift we've we've never let the pandemic stop us from what we're doing but i am very excited to be able to bring people inside again because that is our core mission that is why we were built yeah i bet you are but do you think there's any elements from this past year that you might start bringing in because obviously the one upside of all this is that suddenly you're can expand beyond your four walls and have people from new york watching your stuff or whatever yeah i will so we will now always have a way to in a very high quality way 
join and participate in our programming digitally, even if you're not physically in the space. That is for the people who now, because of the pandemic and because we've moved, we've done so much online programming, know about us and are excited about what we're doing and are now a part of our community and don't want to be cut off. For the last two months, we've been hosting these book clubs. We did a book club around the Obama book. And every week I brought in a senior Obama administration official who was featured in that chapter to join the book club and actually give us an inside scoop on what happened in that chapter. We're talking David Pluff, we're talking Dan Pfeiffer, Lisa Jackson, who ran the EPA, Valerie Jarrett. I mean, it was amazing. We had 500 people a week joining this book club from all over the world, not just the country. We had people from England and Vienna to meet these folks and read the book. We did it again in Black History Month. We just finished it with Alicia Garza's book, The Purpose of Power. And every week we had another incredible Black woman in politics come and talk about that section of the book. And we finished it with Alicia Garza herself. She's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. And we had people, Nancy, I kid you not, we had a woman named Sharon Ann Higgins who stayed up until three in the morning because she lives in Vienna in order to not miss the book club because she was she gained so much community from it and she was making friends out of it and it was the one point of contact that she had with people in this kind of intellectual and political way over the over the course of the pandemic so we do have a community online now and it is now i think my responsibility to continue to nurture it so we will have online offerings but it will not be our primary focus our focus will still be primarily um, what we're doing here in this space. Have you thought about bringing this concept to other cities? Yes, we have. And almost since almost the day we opened, we started getting folks in other cities asking if we were going to build a space like this in their city, or if they knew of a place in their city that where this was happening. It kind of surprises me that there aren't already spaces like this in every major city, because it's such a simple idea. It makes so much sense. People want it. The night we opened, we had 500 people around the block waiting to come inside. And I didn't know who any of these people were. The reason they came was because they heard that this was a place they could watch the returns of the 2018 election. And they just wanted to watch it. They wanted, they just needed a place to watch the house go blue. So the idea works. Right now we have to get through this pandemic. Obviously we need to, I need to take care of my baby, bring it back to life nurture the community that's that's been missed but totally i would love to open more spaces in the future and the question is where and how and uh, if we did it wouldn't be me running it out you know i would help i would seed a space in a different city seed it financially also seed it with our playbook and find the person who is like me there that that loves the, their city that loves their community understands their community and just needs a little bit of help to uh set the table yeah, that would be great. So let's talk a little politics. So I'm hearing you use terms like civic engagement and expanding people's minds and perspectives. What I don't hear you saying a lot of are resistance. And it, it seems like you're more about coming together. It doesn't seem rancorous what goes on at Manny's. And it feels like maybe you're open to dialogue. You've even talked about that. Um, maybe less partisan, less like more inclusive than a lot of our political engagement in the country right now. Is that on purpose? Yes, very much. Rancorous is not what I wanted. And the reason is because going back to the word politics, I think that politics has a lot of negative associations. And I think there are people, and I'm one of them, that love politics, that say we love politics, 
We want to talk about politics. We want to get involved in politics. And I actually think that for people like me, we don't necessarily need a space like Manny's. I mean, it's great. It's it's cool. It's fun. But that's not really the, that's not the community that I that I when I dream about what a space like mine could accomplish, what it's doing. The people I'm thinking about are the folks who are delicately interested in politics, but are a little bit nervous. They think I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to yell at anyone. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what I would say. Where do I even start? I mean, I care, but but I don't know. I mean, politics, isn't that just like, you know, a bunch of people yelling at each other? I want to bring them in. I want them to I want to bring them into their first political experience and I want them to have the best time. I want them to come to my booths and call, and I can't tell you how many people came and for the made made phone calls for the first time in their lives. Grown ass men and women who had never participated, but they were like, okay, I'll I'll do this here. And we give them a beer, we make it fun, we play Mariah Carey. We almost want to sneak people into politics because that to me is is a major value add. Right? How do you get the the the, the majority of folks who are nervous about becoming more civically engaged reforming in their mind what a political event looks like. So here's an here's an example. We would host these gangbusters debate watch parties. I think there were 13 for the primary. I can't even I don't even remember how many primary debates there were. And for a lot of people it's like okay, I'll watch the debate. But I would put on a sparkling blue rhinestone dress, welcome people, we'd be playing Janet Jackson. They'd come in, we'd give them free glasses of champagne and popcorn. And there'd be dancing. Folks would be sitting on the floor. We had this big scream. We had little like bobbleheads. And it was fun. I mean, it was like actually fun, not pretend fun. But I, the, the goal and the purpose is to make people leave what is clearly on its head a political gathering and think that was just as fun as going to a bowling alley or watching a movie or even just going to a bar with my friends. I could do that all the time. And so that is very much on purpose. And, and the last thing I'll say, even the physical space, the way we and the team, designer and everyone that was involved in building it, it very much does not, it feels warm and inviting and comfortable and like home. It feels like a living room. And that's very much on purpose. Lots of velvet, lots of rugs and couches and plants and like knickknacks and stuff. And that's for two reasons. One, where do you feel the most comfortable? Where do you feel like you can be yourself most? At home. And if you feel comfortable, you're more willing to let your guard down and be honest. Second, because I, I don't want it to feel sterile and uncomfortable. Again, we're coding politics to be something inviting and fun and wonderful and warm. And so I am, all of it is very much on purpose. And, you know, listen, sometimes we have programs where shots are fired and people say controversial things. And the, and the other thing is like the topics are, are heavy, right? We're talking about criminal justice reform, climate change. The Uyghurs in China, hundreds of thousands of people in forced labor camps. This is already very heavy stuff. So it's important that everything else around it feel a little bit lighter, myself included, my, how I bring myself into the programming so that you don't leave the space feeling, well, that sucked. I mean, now I'm just depressed. Like, I never want to go back there again. In fact, I just, I don't even want to think about it anymore, you know? Yeah. It's a long answer to your question, but I'm very excited. I'm very excited about that question. <laughs> So, well, following up on that, do you ever bring in speakers who may be sort of outside the progressive San Francisco bubble? I'm not talking like Ted Cruz or anything, but, you know, maybe somebody who has a different perspective. Are, are you going that far? Are people receptive to that? Well, San Francisco has very many different fiefdoms 
maybe is the way to call it here, of idea. There are, even though it is a, is it, it is a democratic city, within that big D, there's a lot of disagreement about the best path forward on certain policies and even certain people, you know, members of our own political party in this town have large chunks of folks who love them and who don't, like any town. And so my first goal was to create a place where everyone felt welcome in San Francisco, no matter if they were a socialist or a progressive or a, I don't even know what it all means, Democrat or a moderate Democrat. I mean, there are not, there's not a huge Republican component of our city's political life. But even you know Republicans, I want Republicans to feel comfortable in my space, in our space, in this community space, that they will be listened to and learned from, and that they can learn themselves. And so, just doing that is 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 difficult because we are. And I think this is unfortunate. I think this will change too, and it is my hope that I'll be a part of changing it. We are a very divided city politically. I don't think it has to be this way. And so, my first order of business was to create a space that was not typecasted as one kind of Democrat. As you, I'm sure, know, the Democrats, we have a division, we have a unity issue problem. And now, now that that's done, and I think I have done it, I think that Manny's has successfully like not been labeled as one kind of space or the other. It's open to everyone. I think I'm more comfortable pushing the envelope a bit on, you know, what would it mean to invite some Republicans or ex-Republicans or Republicans with real concerns about the direction of the party into the space? The Republican Party for the last four years has been extremely toxic, not just because of its leader, but because of the rank and file following its leader like lemmings. There was so little outspoken criticism of Donald Trump from his own party over the last four years that the party, the party lost all value and meaning and respect in my eyes, and I think in a lot of eyes of sensible Americans. And so the question is, will the Republican Party find itself again and detoxify itself? And if it does, I think it's very important that spaces like mine, all around, like people all around the country find a way to bring the left and the right together. But I'm still waiting to see that happen, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, well, you mentioned just bringing the left and the left together, right? And I mean, in researching for this podcast, I read some stuff about how there were these anti-Zionist protests, some vandalism at Manny's. I mean, that makes you really sad. And that's just an example of the left eating itself. And it sounds like you want to be part of the solution. I mean, do you have any ideas what that solution is? Well, not to bring it back to the first question, but I think what stares you in the face is the first solution is we need to be able to talk to each other again. We need to be able to, in community, if you have a question about someone or you think you don't like someone, to have places and the courage and the tools to discuss that difference with them. There are politicians in this town who have hordes of haters who've never met them. They don't know them. They've never even talked to them. And so it is my hope that I can create opportunities for them to do that. Because if you do that, um, it is a lot easier to be understanding and it will be a lot easier to create unity. So first, I think uh, we need to go back to basics. We need to engage directly with folks we have questions to. And in a democracy, especially a democracy fueled digitally, that opportunities for that exist a plenty, especially at the local level. And so there's lots of ways to engage with folks in person locally and after this pandemic, of course. Um, the second is I think we need more leaders 
who exemplify kind of the transformational leadership and openness and acceptance of others. You know, obviously we've had a president who thrived off divisiveness and now we have a president who is espousing unity and that is exactly what we need. It is a salve to our country to have a president who is leading with unity, understanding, bipartisanship, tough bipartisanship, but bipartisanship. Um, and so it starts at the top. So I think a change of the guard would have been my prescription before November 6th, and we've had the change of the guard. So kudos to all of us that were a part of that. And I think maybe the, the third thing I'd say, how do we get there? How do we address this mode of attack that we're in right now is, I mean, I think we have to do it in how we each individually have to ask ourselves in the way we move around the world, how are we a part of the problem and how can we be part of the solution? How are we judging folks that we've never met before based on something they've said online? At our dinner table, you know, I come from a Trump voting family. All of my family voted for Trump. My sisters, my mother, my father's not a voter, but he would definitely have voted for Trump if he could. My family and I have a very good relationship around this stuff. Respectful, understanding, patient. And so how can we in our family life, in our friend life, in our work life, in the way we walk down the street, how we talk to people, how can we model this good behavior of not judging people and not automatically casting people off because they believe something different than we do, or we think that they believe something different than we do? So, okay. Well, Trump was very galvanizing. That's why I think the Democrats were just super unified for four years for once, because everyone just wanted him out so badly. And now I find that some people are losing that civic energy they had. I don't know if you're noticing the same thing, but uh, what are you doing, if anything, to kind of keep people psyched up and keep the energy going in the room? I I think you're right. Though it's hard to understand how much of that is just is exhaustion with, with, with what was a cinematic marathon election cycle. I mean, who would have thought that we wouldn't have known the president? It was going to come down to a couple tens of thousand votes that were being tallied over the course of five days that then left us with a, a hung Senate, basically, that was going to be decided by two special elections in Georgia that came down to a couple thousand votes that then led to an insurrection and a bloody riot in the Capitol. I mean, you could not have written this into a Steven Spielberg script. You couldn't have done it. And so I think part of it is, and it's only March 3rd. So it's not like we are very far from everything that has happened and we're still in this pandemic. So I think it's suffice it to say that Americans are exhausted. The world is exhausted. We are tired of the adrenaline rush of our politics. And so part of it is, I think, understanding that people need a break. And people are, even without everything I just said, the pandemic has totally run us dry. I mean, the, and I don't have to tell you, you know that we all know that we all feel it, right? It's in our bones. Uh, and so we are going to need to recover emotionally, mentally, spiritually from the pandemic and this election cycle and this man that ran our country probably for the next year. We're not going to be able to really walk with the same spring in our step as we as we would before. I do not think that people are going to lose interest in civic and political life. I saw it with my very eyes. I mean, the events that brought the most people had nothing to do with Donald Trump. They weren't about our national election. I mean, meeting the folks that make decisions about your daily life in your city, people are always going to be interested in that. People have vested interests in in issues that will not go away in our lifetime. LGBT rights, women's rights, criminal justice reform, poverty, economic inequality, climate change, international relations. I mean, these are all 
things that we all need to and want to be a part of and get involved in. So that won't change. That's not going to change. And I think actually the election and the, of Donald Trump and the four years of his presidency has created a generation of activists and organizers and people who are paying attention. That's not going to end either. I hope not. If people want to learn more about Manny's or get on your mailing list or find out, you know, what you've got going online, what do they do? So easy to learn more about Manny's. Our website is welcometomanny's.com. So easy, right? Welcome to Manny's. Um, and our Facebook is just facebook.com slash welcome to Manny's. And if you go to welcometomanny's.com and you just you click on the button that says join the list, you can join our mailing list. You can get lots of opportunities, whether you live in the Bay Area or you live in Vienna, you can get lots of opportunities to get engaged in civic and political life and meet change makers in the world of politics. So welcome to Manny's.com, Facebook.com slash welcome to Manny's. It's welcome to Manny's on Instagram. That, those are all the digital things. And even better, if you are physically in San Francisco, just come on in, 16 and Valencia, and I will welcome you and I will tell you how you can get involved and I will show you. I will bring you in myself and I will, I will I'll make you a cup of tea and and, and and welcome you to our community. Well, that sounds like worth a trip to San Francisco in and of itself. Please. Um, Ma <laughs> Manny Yakutiel, thank you so much for joining me on New Faces of Democracy. My pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking of me and us and the space and what we're doing. And I hope that anyone that's listening, if you are in San Francisco, if you find yourself in our fair city, do come to Manny's. Um, I'd love to meet you. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.